So last week, Deacon Ruth gave you a lot of important background on the book of Revelation. And she told you that the letter is written to seven churches of Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey, who struggle in various ways. How are these churches to live the Christian life, remaining faithful to Christ when the temptations of empire are all around them, the temptation to assimilate into Rome's way of life? The temptation, for instance, to use one's neighbor rather than love one's neighbor. The temptation to use the Roman system to get ahead, to pursue wealth and pleasure rather than remaining faithful to Christ and to his people. The opening chapters portray Christ as one shepherding his people away from the pitfalls of empire and back toward faithfulness. But Shepherding toward faithfulness wasn't just for the churches of that time. Christ continually reforms and transforms the church down to our very perspective of who he is. So today is Reformation Sunday. Usually it's a a big day where we celebrate the Lutheran Reformation with Martin Luther nailing the 95 theses to the door. We sing... A mighty fortress is our God. Though that doesn't go quite so well with contemporary styles of music, I get it. But that's, you know, that's a, a, you know, traditionally on Reformation Day, it's, it's very much a celebration of the, of the rediscovery of the basics of the gospel, the, the truth of the gospel, which, which, uh, which Luther rediscovered, that we are saved by, by grace through faith and not by anything we could possibly do. So it, but this is a different kind of reading and a different kind of reformation we're talking about here. It's, it's a, still the reformation of the church, but we are transported, instead of talking about the truth will set you free, we're transported to the heavenly throne room where we see who God is. Although, at first we don't. God is there, but words can't begin to describe God. John just describes God as the one who is seated on the throne. God is wholly other, completely transcendent, utterly indescribable. But this isn't the only way that God appears in the throne room. God isn't merely unapproachable, bathed in light. God holds out the scroll, which is likely God's plan for the culmination of all things, the destruction of evil, the remaking of creation, and the salvation of the saints. But no one is worthy to act as God's agent in setting it in motion until one of the elders tells John, look, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll. So we would naturally expect, along with John, to see a lion come bounding out, a ravening and roaring lion covered in the blood of those whom he has conquered. We expect to see the Messiah as the conquering hero, the victorious one, the one who swings the sword to establish God's kingdom. But that's not who we see. Instead, when we look with John, we see a lamb, 
a lamb who was slain, a lamb not covered in the blood of his enemies, but in his own blood, a lamb whose blood ransomed for God's saints from every tribe and language and people and nation, a lamb who conquers precisely by his own suffering and death. All of us, I'm guessing, have heard sermons in which the preacher have said some, has said something like, the Jews expected the Messiah to be a mighty warrior who would expel the hated Romans and restore the kingdom to Israel. And I have been guilty of preaching a few of these sermons myself. But it is an incomplete and unfair statement on several levels. First of all, the Jews had several conceptions on who the Messiah was supposed to be. The warrior was one such conception, but there was also the teacher, the healer, and the shepherd. Second, don't we all have moments in which we would like a warrior messiah to come and fix everything? Don't we all have moments in which he, we would like Jesus to come down and snap his fingers and get rid of all pain and evil and inconvenience, along with, if we are honest, a few particularly obnoxious people? Such a Messiah is little more than a deus ex machina, a god from the machine, a term that comes from plays in ancient Greece. But at the end of those plays, that would, you know, the, the situation would be a horrible mess, and, un, and, and then it would be resolved by lowering a, uh, an actor playing a god by means of a crane onto the stage who would just set everything right. End of, end of play. You know, movies still do this. You know, you see this today. You see this in uh, with Superman who turns back time, you know, just setting everything right. Or the eagles in the Lord of the Rings who just show up at just the right moment to save everything. That's the kind of Messiah our unredeemed nature wants. Someone who will just show up and give us a quick and painless fix. But that's not the kind of Messiah Jesus is. Jesus is God's own son, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world through his suffering and death. Our salvation, make no mistake, is costly. It is deeply costly to God. We will indeed reign with Christ as part of his priestly kingdom, but there is no quick and easy road to get there. There is no quick fix. Salvation is indeed God's gift, which we can never possibly earn. But there is also a cost to us as well. And here's the cost. Our old, unredeemed self, stuck on its grievances and lusts, has to die. The old self has to die. And a new self has to reemerge from the waters of baptism. Since Jesus has ransomed us by his own blood, we can't remain who we were. We can't remain stuck on ourselves. Jesus frees us to be his new people in a way that we do not and could not expect. That brings us to the music of the heavenly throne room. If I said to you at the beginning of worship today, that we're going to sing all new songs today. How many of you would be excited about that? 
Arden would like that. I'm with you. I'm with you, Arden. I like new songs. Uh, but it is still, I'm sure the band would cheerfully ignore that and play what they had planned for today. But it is natural to like the old songs best, whatever they are to you. But here, the song of the elders, the living creatures, and the angels in the heavenly throne room is a new song. A new song that commemorates what's happened in the past, the Lamb's act of sacrifice, but also praises the new reality of God's kingdom. It is a song that celebrates God's evergreen and ever-creative work, saving a people and making all things new. Not just a people, but people of every language, tribe, and nation. At root, this is a new song of joy in the new thing that God is bringing forth among us. And it's the song of newness that echoes in the lives of God's gospel people, of you and me. God's new song in us sings something marvelous into existence. Even on this plane of existence, with the demonic noise all around us, wars in Ukraine and Gaza, 565 mass shootings in the United States this year, misery, pain, and death, building resentments and divisions and hatreds, the new song of the Lamb's victory over sin, death, and the devil rings out in the lives of the faithful. In your life and in mine, we are witnesses to the fact that there is something more than to the misery all around us. There is more to life than, there is more to life than sex, drugs, and rock and roll, so to speak. The ultimate goal of our lives is the new Jerusalem, with God and the Lamb at the center of it where God dwells with mortals, where Christ will be our light forever and ever. And the Lamb will bring us into it. He has already won us for himself. Let's let our lives echo the joy of that new song. Amen.